occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 26. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your cat housekeepers this evening. Why would you bring that up again? <laughs> because I re-listened to it and I was right. You said cat housekeeper. They were the housekeeper of cats, maybe. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. I'm terribly sorry. We're also sorry for not understanding room numbers in hotels. Ah, uh, yes. We uh, we got one of our lovely fans to tell us. In fact, how on earth hotels work? Never been to one. <laughs> Are the, uh, hotels always like that? Am I stupid? I don't know. I don't often, uh, you know, Google how many hotel rooms there are in hotels and sort of count. No, but when you go to a hotel, do they put you in room like 106? And that's yeah, to be fair, I guess that it always corresponds with the floor. Like if you're on the third floor, it'll be like 317. Well, for some reason we forgot that and we're sorry. Yes, we take that back. What are you talking about today, Ab? I'm talking about the Bermuda Triangle. You want to know what I'm talking about? I would love to. That's, that's the part where you say what you're talking about. I'm talking about Natasha Kampusch, which is an Austrian missing person. I'm very excited to learn about it. You better be. You got anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? Uh, no. Go right ahead. Okay. Enlighten us. I sure will. So today I'm talking about the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle, Woo-hoo. also known as the Devil's Triangle or Hurricane Alley. Oh, didn't know that. So it's something you've probably heard about, but you might not know too much about. What do you know about the Bermuda Triangle? I know that there have been missing aircrafts or like crashes and like missing boats um or like the crew is missing you know that kind of thing spooky unexplained activities yeah and it's like uh in the sea it's like a, a section it's a triangle of space water sea yeah some would say well yeah but if you're in the air then it's a triangle of air okay. try and sass me jeez <laughs> So my sources are theindependenthistory.com, wikipedia, oceanservice.noaa.gov, lifescience.com, 30a.com, theweek.com, businessinsider.com, scienceexpress.co.uk, britannica.com, and anomalyinfo.com. Bet you didn't use half of those. I actually used all of them. Uh-huh, sure. Tell me what information you got from each source. Okay. <laughs> no. So the Bermuda Triangle is located in the Atlantic Ocean. It basically connects Florida, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. It's a heavily travelled shipping lane, and commercial aircrafts often pass over it. But some aircrafts are never seen again. Oh, I thought it was like a, if you go there, you're doomed. No. Well, that's kind of what we'll talk about later, is what exactly is this, and how safe is it? Because many people fly over there to go on holiday, or to, like, ship cargo. Wow. Yeah, it's really common. I also didn't realise how close it was to Florida. I didn't realise that it was, like, connecting it. It goes into Florida. Floridians, man. They're all stuck (laughs) in in the middle of time and space. (laughs) So when Christopher Columbus sailed through the area on his first voyage to the New World, he reported that a great flame of fire crashed into the sea one night and a strange light appeared in the distance a few weeks later. He wrote that down. Mm Mm-hmm. This was in uh, 1945, Jesus Christ. It was the World War. (laughs) This was in 1492, not even a similar number, and is commonly referred to as the light sighting. Columbus also described the light like a candle in the sea where there could not be a fire. So this is thought to be like a historic UFO sighting. Okay. But it could have also been a meteor. Like, obviously, I wasn't there, so. Or maybe there was a tiny patch of land with a fire on it. Maybe, but if it crashed into the sea. Fire dancers. Potentially. Yes, people thought it would maybe be a UFO, but we don't really know. And some people think it's why the Bermuda Triangle is the way it is. Swallowing people. Okay, so just big UFO, people bored it. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Okay. So it's just something to think about. In this area, Christopher Columbus also wrote about erratic compass readings. Okay. Again, something to think about. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to that later. So the neighbor Bermuda Triangle didn't exist until 1964, when it appeared in a Pulp magazine article about ships and planes that went missing in that area. And reports of the unexplained occurrences 
began around the mid-19th century, but some scholars claim that William Shakespeare's play The Tempest was based on the Bermuda Triangle shipwrecks. I do not know The Tempest well. Well, I mean, there's no proof. Okay. But it's a thought, again. Just popping out thoughts here and there. There's there's no evidence on this, so I just gotta (laughs) try and litter them around. (laughs) Several incidents occurred in the 1800s, as in lots of ships went missing, but nobody, like... There was no phones and stuff. There was no radios mm-hmm. to easily contact people like we could in the 1900s. Okay. So it wasn't as big of a deal. It was just like, oh, they probably got swept away in a storm. Mm-hmm. So because of this, the mystery didn't really capture the public's eye until 1918, when an unexplained incident occurred. The USS Cyclops was a 542-foot-long cargo ship with 306 men on board. Okay. There are so many numbers there. Yeah. (laughs) It sank near Barbados, but it never sent out an SOS distress call, although it was fully equipped to do so. Bit strange. Maybe it broke. Maybe. It's the single largest loss of life in US naval history, not directly involving combat. Mm -hmm. And no wreckage was ever found. People suggest that it sank in an unexpected storm, but it's strange that they didn't put out a distress call if that is the case. Yeah, it does seem weird. Although, if Columbus was like, oh yeah, the compass is going weird, who's to say that there wasn't an electrical malfunction? Well, we'll come to that in a little while. Oh, I'm, I'm jumping the gun again. Too excited about the possible explanations. I am, yeah. I haven't talked about enough missing people yet to get to that. All right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what else is weird is that the last known message from that ship said, weather fair, all's well. Ooh. Yeah. People didn't know what to do because they couldn't find anything. There wasn't even a piece of the ship or like a life preserver. It was just like it stopped existing. Also, a few years later, the ship Carol A. Deering sailed in the area and was found completely abandoned. So it had half-prepared food and items on it. But the lifeboats were gone, as well as all the crew and the personal belongings of the crew. Ooh. Sounds like the Man of Medan. I think this what's what it was based on. Wow. Or it's a similar one. That's cool. I think it I think the Man of Madame was based on a ship named Madame. I think it was, yeah. But I think I've researched both of them yeah. at different times because ghost ships are so fascinating. Yeah, really cool. Why are they empty though? Yeah, if uh if you happen to play games, then Man of Madame, it's part of the dark anthologies. Yeah. I think. It's really good. It's by the people that made Until Dawn, so you should definitely Maybe go we play should it. stream it sometime. I would love to stream it sometime. Let us know if you would watch a Twitch of us play that. <laughs> you sound like you've just discovered the internet. Not good would with you watch words. Watch us on the internet doing oh. a game. Would you let us know if you would check in on Twitch? Let us know if you want to watch some gaming streams. Anyway. Regardless of whether you do or not, we're probably going to do it. So. Oh, probably. Yeah, we love <laughs> games. So many, many ships were lost and then wreckage was later found. And in total, there are 942 people who had died or presumed dead in the Bermuda Triangle. Whoa. I'll read a few more that I found like found particularly interesting because I can't go through all of them. Well, mm-hmm. I could, but it'd be really boring. We'd be here for about three hours. <laughs> the two sister ships of the USS Cyclops were also lost. Wow. That one's a bit strange. Yeah. Why would you? Why are you out there like, huh, this one went lost. You know who we should send next? Oh, God. It's sister. There's something even worse directly related to that in a few minutes. Okay. So in 1945, Thomas Arthur Garner flew over the triangle with 11 other crew members, and they were never heard from again. And an extensive 10-day search error in the area found absolutely nothing. No wreckage. Don't tell me his, like, son did it. No. Okay. <laughs> But the same year, a training flight of five torpedo bombers, known as Flight 19, flew over the triangle and disappeared. Oh, I knew about that one. And later that day, they sent out another flight with 13 men on to go and find the first flight, and that (gasps) also disappeared. Oh, my. And no wreckage was found of either of them. The official Navy report declared that it was like they'd just flown to Mars. Maybe they did. They might have. You'd be absolutely livid, wouldn't you? You send the first one out and you're like, quick, go find them. And then they also just disappear off the face of the earth. I mean, I imagine how those people must have felt going on that that rescue mission. You know, the second lot. Maybe they just felt that it was it got crashed down, like it fell or something. And they wanted to go. Yeah, I guess if it was a training friends. flight, maybe they ran out of fuel or, you know. It's strange that they both disappeared. That one's particularly interesting yeah. for that reason. Yeah, there are a bunch of planes that just 
just vanished. Huh. I suppose though that could be explained because they they were bombers, did you say? Yeah. So maybe there was someone in the waters, you know, of like an opposing army or something. And they thought rather than it being a training flight or whatever, they were like, oh my God, we're going to get bombed. Let's shoot them down. And then there was another wave. I don't know. Maybe. It's entirely possible. But again, no wreckage was ever found. Yeah. that That's the weird bit, I think, because, you know, if we can find the Titanic, why can we right? not find all of these? If there are so many. It's crazy. Yeah. In 1955, a yacht was found just south of Bermuda with nobody on it, but the yacht survived being at sea during three storms. In 2015, two boys went fishing on their boat, they were 14, and they went missing, and the Coast Guard did a 15,000 square nautical mile search. What a Didn't good find Coast Guard. Them, right? And a year later, their boat showed up, just off the coast of Bermuda, but there was no trace of the boys. Whoa. Spooky, right? Pretty spooky. More recent one. In 2017, a Turkish Airlines flight was flying over the triangle and began experiencing mechanical and electrical problems, forcing it to turn around. And that one's quite interesting because it could explain why things go missing if they were having malfunctions, electrical malfunctions. Yeah, perhaps it's kind of the undersea magnetism of that part of the Earth, you know, because um, there are magnetic kind of hot spots over different places on there so for sure well how about we discuss some of the possible explanations i have a few you're gonna hate some of them oh god tell me it's not a crowdfunder bigfoot is involved so the first one aliens oh here we go obviously <laughs> we always got to start with aliens and then work backwards uh-huh because it could be them it could be there's no evidence to prove that it isn't exactly however there's no evidence to prove that it is well maybe uh, not really <laughs> So Christopher Columbus may have saw a UFO, and it sounds like it could be a UFO from the description. And this guy, he's an author called Charles Berlitz, wrote a book called The Bermuda Triangle, where he offered the explanation of an interdimensional changeover through a passageway equivalent to a hole in the sky. Was he a fiction writer? <laughs> where aircrafts could enter, but they could not leave. Okay. It's kind of like a black hole. Kind of, like you fly through it and then you just disappear from Earth and you're in a different dimension. Right. Or aliens could be taking the aircrafts to Here look at human technology. Maybe they aren't intentionally doing it and they fly into the other dimension and then they're there. What do you think about that one? I have got some issues. Go on. If it was aliens taking people to sort of look at their technology and stuff, surely you would pick somewhere with higher technological advancements you know and like you would need other forms of technology to be like studied as well it wouldn't just be boats and planes like what about cars what about bikes what about computers you know everything so why would you just be sat in the sea waiting you know why would you not go to a city or like to the pentagon or perhaps that is an interesting thought all right it could be a wormhole so, a space-time shortcut that maybe could even allow time travel. So, what if the the planes go through or whatever, and then they go back or forward in time? What if what if the people go in there sometimes, but like the the boats don't, which is why the boats show up. And now they're just in the future. Okay, well, I think if you were going to make that argument, you would kind of have to say that they went forward into the future because if they went back, if the, if this like fully kitted out boat went back in time then we would have had advancements quicker true unless you're going to make the argument that space isn't or like space and time is not one line and there are alternate ones and they went back into an alternate past an alternate timeline yeah you could make that argument i guess but for the sake of not absolutely frying my brain i suppose it could be argued that they are going forward into time but it would be it would be kind of weird that it was just there you know because there's not another one that I can think of off the top of my head that you could make that argument for you know there's not another hotspot in the world like the Bermuda Triangle true 
So why would there just be one wormhole on the whole Earth? That's where the wormhole is. Why do you need more explanation? (laughs) That's where they put it. I don't know. I don't buy it, but if you do, let me know, I guess. Do you buy this one, The Lost City of Atlantis? Oh, goodness. So you might have heard of Atlantis. Maybe I'll do a whole episode on it because I love the place. So interesting. Atlantis is sometimes thought to be where the Bermuda Triangle is. And Charles Burlitz, the author I mentioned earlier, also wrote in one of his books, the Bermuda Triangle showed, like, swallowed up Atlantis. And I think a theory here is that the technology from Atlantis, more specifically the Atlantean fire crystals that provided the power and energy for Atlantis, interfere with the boats and planes that cross over it. What do you think of that one? I don't know what to say to you. Honestly, I, I don't. It Personally, when I think of Atlantis, I would think of it if it existed as being near somewhere that has more resources. You know what I mean? Because the whole point is that basically they're just like absolutely bossing the whole evolution game and it really. So like they would have a lot of resources. I don't know how many resources Florida has under the sea there. Do you know what I mean? What if it's a sea monster just taking the things? Big squid. Just grabbing them. What do you think? Could be. There's so much about the sea that we don't know, and like the ocean that we do not know, and there are frightful creatures there. So it could oh, be yeah. them. horrific, horrific animals that we just should never see. Exactly. So it could totally be that. It could, you know, be the whole UFO sighting uh, with the big light and stuff. You know, if you think about like other oceanic creatures that we know about, like Ooh, could be like a the huge... football fish. Yeah. Like. It's the one, if you don't know what that is, it's the one in Finding Nemo with the with the huge light. <laughs> Why didn't you just describe the fish? The one that in the film Finding Nemo. Because everyone's seen Finding Nemo. True. So I hope so. It's the one with the huge light on and it's got ginormous teeth. So maybe it could be something like that where like the light, it happened to be like close to the surface and the light came out and then it bobbed back away. But it would oh be God, weird. Oh my God, what if it is? It would be weird though that no one has ever seen that again. Oh, while diving for the wreckage of the boats. Yeah. You would see this huge monster. Yeah, because it's obviously not shying away from machinery noises. Because normally, you know, if an animal hears you come in, in like a boat or a sub or whatever, it's going to leave. But why would it be going up towards boats when it can hear them? It's a badass. To like take them. I don't know. The, sh- the fish gives zero fucks. <laughs> okay, I also have a few that are more backed up by science that you might be interested in hearing. Please tell me you're going to mention magnetic hotspots. First one is methane bubbles. Okay, this one so, I know. Yeah, scientists found a bunch of, bunch of huge craters that are 150 feet deep and they were formed by bubbles of methane gas leaking from oil deposits on the seafloor. And when they reach a cris- critical mass, they can potentially cause large eruptions which would basically destroy anything in its way. Mm-hmm. So it could just blow the ship up. True, but you would have found wreckage near that. If you found the crater, you would find whatever it destroyed. True, true. It would happen incredibly quickly as well, so it could explain that. Like That could be a possibility. I know what you mean. But it, it doesn't explain things explode. like... what. It would also have to explode very high up into the air to hit like a, a plane. Yeah, the, the I don't think that really <laughs> mentions the plane ones, but um, it do- also doesn't explain the boats that have come back intact and completely fine just without the people on. Yeah, that I think that's the weirdest part for me. Yeah, to have survived like three storms and there's no ship on, no crew on board. Yeah, for sure. Weird. The next one is magnetic forces Ooh. that cause compasses to malfunction. Mm-hmm. So, again, it could be tied in with the whole Columbus thing. Yeah. Because his compass was malfunctioning and he did make note of that. Doesn't really explain the lights, but I guess that could be an entirely separate thing. There were aliens, but that wasn't what caused it. It was just a crazy day for him, you know? Yeah, well, if if compasses are freaking out anyway, you know, it's kind of the expectation thing where you're like, oh, this one one weird thing's already happening. Oh, look, a light, when, like, really it was just another boat or something. Yeah, for sure. So this idea is basically the Bermuda Triangle is one of the two places on Earth where compasses port, 
point true north rather than magnetic north. Okay. So people think that at the point where the magnetic north and true north are perfectly aligned, it results in a magnetic phenomenon and would cause pilots and ship captains to get horribly lost. Mm-hmm. That explains some things. And I, I like that theory in conjunction with the methane gas things, because if your equipment is malfunctioning, you won't be able to call for an SOS, then bam, you know, the whole boat's up in combustion. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be up oh, in flames, boom. but it's gone. You know, for sure. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, you could argue that. The problem with this theory, though, is that in the 18th century, scientists discovered that the specific point shifts every single year. And while it used to be in the Bermuda Triangle, it is not there anymore. Well, I think as well, the main problem with it is that it is a shipping lane and other boats are fine. Yeah, plenty of boats pass through there. And plenty of planes are fine. It could be rogue waves. So scientists believe that conditions in the area of the triangle are perfect for making massive rogue waves, which could put ships at risk. Could Again, be. doesn't really explain the planes, though. And I'm sure we've got other hotspots of rogue waves, but they're not as well known as the Bermuda Triangle. For sure. Well, my last point is a lot less exciting, and that <laughs> is that there is nothing suspicious about the Bermuda Triangle because the area has a lot of traffic because it's near America, which is a very wealthy part of the world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of traffic means there's more likely to be a higher number of people getting in accidents, going missing, and they just are reported there because people think it's suspicious. But it could happen anywhere. True, yeah, but people are suspicious everywhere. And I understand, you know, kind of the, well, if it's affecting wealthy Americans, then it's going to get reported more, you know, that's whatever. But as far as I know... There aren't those kind of places within cultures. Do you know what I mean? I mean, just more of like, so the whole sea is huge. It's enormous. The entire ocean, it's huge. But if you're just reporting the incidents in a small triangle, there are going to be a huge amount of them because there are lots of things going through there all the time. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if that was the case, then, for example, uh, near the Bahamas, yeah. You've got people living there. That's fine. There would be a cultural kind of superstition about a place. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And as far as I know, there aren't many of those. You know, there aren't ones that are widely accepted by people that don't even live there. We don't live anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle and we know of it and we kind of accept it. Like everyone accepts it. And that is what's weird. For sure. Yeah. But if you think about it, like, Maybe it's just the media talking about it. How many media articles have you seen just out and about about the Bermuda Triangle? I mean, just like people will make <laughs> accusations about anything. I don't know. Human error happens. Yeah. Planes go down. If a lot of them go down in that area, people are going to talk about it because they're going to think that area is weird. Or it could be weather. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think goes on in the Bermuda Triangle? Why do you think things disappear? I like the idea of an animal that we don't know about, you know, uh, that would explain boats, maybe low flying planes might explain it, but it wouldn't explain, I I don't know. Okay, let's do the scale scale, because mm -hmm. I'll write this down. Okay. Okay, so is that one of your alternative explanations? <laughs> Big fish. Yeah, just oceanic animals that will get you. Okay, well I've written Big Fish. Okay. How scary do you think the Bermuda Triangle is? Would you be frightened if your pilot was like, we're passing you with a Bermuda Triangle now? Yeah, I think so. But I am also fearful of flying. Oh, right. That would be even worse. Yeah. Like, I'm afraid of flying anyway. I've done it enough, but I just, oh, not a fan. So I think, yeah, if I, I would be more likely to be superstitious. And perhaps that's why it happens. You know, it is such a used route and people are afraid of flying and afraid of boats and afraid of, you know, so if they're looking for one thing to focus their fear on and to be superstitious about, perhaps it's that. But I would say about three because I would personally be a bit freaked out. Fair enough. How dangerous do you think it is? Again, a three, I think. Because things have happened there, regardless of what it is, even if it's nothing. People have still got, gone missing there and still not been found. What is the likelihood of something unusual happening there? I'm going to say a three again. 
it's a pretty middle ground one. I don't know what I believe because there is no evidence because no one's been found. But something obviously is going on with that, whether it's, you know, just messing around with electronics or what. Still proof of something happening. Yeah, what do you think happens there? What what's your what's your take on this? I like the idea of the the methane. Methane. Okay. Yeah, because that could explain I mean it could end up being like a geyser when it explodes. Or a geyser, however you say it. And so when it goes up, it goes above the the sea level. Like a huge explosion yeah. from the sea. Okay. And and it could like get a plane shatter it just destroy it but it would depend how how low the plane was you know if a plane was gum- coming into land in like florida then it could be possible because it would be a lot lower but if it's if it's all the way up it, it, it's got to go a stupid way to get to the plane so yeah okay that's an interesting idea i do like that one it's neat it feels more scientific you don't need to say it just because it feels scientific. No, I know, but it does. So I'm, <laughs> I believe it more. Is that your most likely theory? I think the most likely theory is honestly an animal. You do? That's so interesting. I didn't think there's anything weird with it. You don't? No. Huh. What a weird twist of events. I know. Abby's the skeptic now. I am skeptical of this one. I just, I think that the sea is so big. And I mean, I feel like maybe it could be something. I'm very open to the idea of it. And I think I would also be freaked out if we were flying over it or if we were sailing through it. I think I would be scared yeah, because it's a freaky thing and like it's associated with being dangerous. But I also think that there are just high reportings of people going missing there because it's such a condensed area that's very busy, personally. But it might be a big fish. Stop saying a big fish. It could be a mermaid. You don't know. I'm like a one mermaid with a big knife. <laughs> oh my god. Army of mermaids. What's an, <laughs> pardon? An army of mermaids. Oh goodness. Yeah. Gang. Squad. Squad of mermaids. Let us know what you think is on the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Do. It's interesting. It is super interesting. There could be something crazy going on there. There could be. You know what else is crazy? What else? The fact that these people are not signed up to our Patreon. Oh my god. Oh shit <laughs> it's very nice if you could send it to our patreon we would very much appreciate it yes it would really help us out if you want to go over to our patreon it is it's patreon.com forward slash it's magic murder there are a whole bunch of tiers ranges from not a lot to a little bit more and you get things like we're reading through Carmilla, the book obviously and there's an extra episode on there every month you'll know what we're going to be talking about before everyone else does so you can feel superior and you'll be our favorites so Okay, you don't have to say that live on the podcast. <laughs> it would be great, though. It starts from $2 a month, and it would be wonderful if you could help us out. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us out, but you still want to, you know, be nice to us, then you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mids Magic Pod. Yeah, and if you don't want to do any of that because you hate us, but you still want to tell us your scary stories, spooky stories, haunted happenings, and terrifying tales, sorry, then you can email us over at mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. Great. Tell me about your story then, Kate. I'm excited to hear about it. I will do just that. So my sources are Wikipedia. Netflix have got a documentary called Natasha Campush, The Whole Story. Uh, I know that it's on Netflix UK because I've watched it, which is where I got a main portion of my information from. It's honestly really good and fascinating. It's about 51 minutes long, so go watch it. TheGuardian.com, Independent.co.uk, DailyMail.co.uk, LifeDeathPrizes.com, TheFamousPeople.com, BBC.co.uk, and News.bbc.co.uk. Nice and informed. Yeah. So on the 2nd of March, 1998, a young girl went missing in the Donutstadt district of Vienna. She was described as having glasses, being 1 meter 45 tall, with light brown hair and a fringe, and blue eyes. Her name is Natasha Kampusch. Natasha didn't come from the happiest of families, from what I can gather. Her parents weren't happy together and had been separated by the time she'd gone missing. And there are allegations that her parents used to slap and insult her. On the morning of the 2nd of March, 1998, Natasha went to school alone, something which her mother, Brigitta, says she rarely did. 
It was only a two kilometer walk to school, so it seemed like a reasonably safe walk for a 10 year old, even though there were many alcoholics and mentally troubled people in the estate. Okay. Regardless, Natasha was a reliable and intelligent little girl, so off she went. Another one of Natasha's redeeming qualities was that she was never late. So when she was 10 minutes late coming home from school, Brigitta phoned the childminder, but there was no answer. Oh no, off to a bad start. 30 minutes later, Natasha still wasn't home, so she rang again, and a slightly bemused childminder then announced that she'd never arrived. Oh god, I can't even imagine the dread that you'd feel Uh at this point. Yeah. It then transpired that Natasha never even made it to school that morning. No. Of course, the police were alerted and started the big search at the council housing estate where she lived with her family, obviously. People were calling in with information they had regarding Natasha. It was in the newspapers, on the radio. It was big local news. Fair enough, yeah. Then on the 6th of April, so it's been a month, there was a report from a young girl who'd been standing at the roundabout which would have been on Natasha's route to school. She said she saw a girl in a red coat being forced into a white truck on the right-hand side of the road. The statement caused the investigation to multiply tenfold. 1,520 white truck owners were questioned, as well as 650 other people. One such person was a 35-year-old technician called Wolfgang Priklopil from Strasshof. They didn't heavily question this guy because he had no criminal record. He was questioned in his mother's house, which is where he lived, and police checked his truck because he had a white truck, but it was just full of building site rubble. And when he was asked where he was on the 2nd of March, he said he was just at home, but no one could confirm it. Right, okay. So this guy could be sketchy. Mm -hmm. Eight days after they first questioned him, investigators in Vienna received a second tip-off about Priklopil from a police dog handler. He doesn't know that Priklopil's already been questioned, but he says that his neighbour, who was Wolfgang, was a shy loner, he had surveillance systems around his house, and he owned a white truck. Okay, so this guy's very sketchy now. (laughs) He's also thought to have a sexual interest in children, though I don't know how he would have known that. Right, was he just telling people? Exactly, I don't really know. That's something you wouldn't tell people. Yeah. The guy calling in the tip didn't actually know his name, but he gave a description that fit Priklopil. Police checked the address and found that Priklopil isn't actually registered to his mother's address. He's just staying at his mother's house. Okay. Extremely sketchy. The sketch levels are multiplying. <laughs> this tip is filed and forgotten about. What? Why? It was never followed up. There's always problems mm-hmm. with the cases mm-hmm. in these stories yeah. and it makes me so angry why why would you oh no so infuriating the police carried on their work and they would often bring in brigitta to identify different things panties were found in a car jackets were found from random garages shoes were seen in bushes thankfully though and i suppose dishearteningly, none of these belonged to natasha so still no one knew anything she just disappeared. Damn. It's so scary. Police were obviously unsure what was going on. There were speculations in the media of child pornography rings or organ theft or, you know. Other horrible stuff. Yeah, I mean, everyone just immediately jumps to the worst thing. Oh, definitely, every single time. But, I mean, it's entirely possible, so you don't want to dismiss it. There were even theories that the French serial killer, Michel Fruinet, had attacked and disposed of Natasha. I've not heard of him. Me neither. Yeah, he attacked 12 people. Oh, wow. Maybe we should cover him sometime. (laughs) They began to expand their search to different countries as well, as before she went missing, uh, she and her father had just returned from a trip to Hungary, so she still had her passport on her. Oh, like on her while she was... In her school bag. Oh, my God. When she was taken. Wow. So. That's convenient. Yeah. Not for her. (laughs) No, not for her at all. Brigitte's telephone was tapped by the police in the hopes that the kidnapper would get in touch at some point. There were many, many calls of this nature, but they were all hoaxes. Why do people do this? Yeah, it was like, we've got Natasha. 
it makes me sick. Why would you do that? Why would you ever even consider that to be a thing? It's it horrible. happens all the time as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, what do you get out of it? Weird power trip? It's the worst. It's disgusting. On July the 18th, 2002, a private detective mounted a huge campaign against the police force because he basically thought they'd done a crap job. Because of this, 120 files had to be transferred to a new police commission, which obviously tedious and time-consuming for the police force. Then there was a tip-off that Natasha's body was buried in an allotment, but they checked it nothing was found. A year later, the same private detective said there should be another dig in the allotment because he thought Brigitte had killed her daughter. Oh, right, okay. His theory was that she was having an affair with a businessman and Natasha was in the way, so they killed her and buried her in a plot of land that he owned, i.e. the allotment. It's entirely possible, I guess. However, it wasn't true. It was a theory he'd made up. The police checked again, there was still nothing there. They'd wasted their time again. Vienna City Council then thought they'd try and help Brigitte by telling her to buy a grave or a plot of land so that she'd have somewhere to go and talk to Natasha. Great, very helpful, thanks. Obviously, that is the worst piece of advice I've ever heard. Oh yeah, go and mourn. Get out of here. Yeah, so it obviously caused her to burst into tears and she didn't follow the advice. Well, fair enough. Instead, she attempted to communicate with Natasha. Like, she says she would think a lot and, like, will good things. So she was, like, trying to communicate telepathically, I suppose. Okay. That makes, I feel like that will be comforting. Yeah. And for the first few years, Brigitte baked a cake for Natasha on her birthday. Oh. And then she threw it out a couple weeks later. That's so sad. Yeah. Oh, no. She said it and it broke my heart. Yeah. Parents always say that in these situations. They always say one thing. I know. And you're like, that is it. That's the thing that's broken me. It's like that woman in the, was it the Ripper case where she, she carried around the white cloth just in case she found a daughter. Yeah. It broke my actual it's heart. It's incredibly upsetting. Seven years later and Natasha is still missing. 23rd of August, 2006 at 1.04 PM, a girl is found in someone's garden. She's very confused. The police arrive and question her and she tells them that she is Natasha Kampusch. Okay. She explained to them where she'd been kept hostage for 3,096 days. Oh my god. She was counting? And when they went to investigate, they found a house with a cell hidden under the garage. Oh wow, okay. So it was actually her? She was identified by a passport, which was in the cell, because obviously she had it when she was younger. Wow, I guess that was helpful in the end then. DNA tests and by a scar on her body. That's incredible. I love... I know you're going you're gonna to continue talking about this, but I love it when they find people. Obviously, it's like incredibly happy and mm-hmm. great for the family and the person, mm-hmm. but also like it really helps with the conclusion that you get to actually know. Yeah. I feel like it doesn't happen that often. No. Especially with people cl- like claiming to be the person, so that also happens quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, definitely. She only weighed 48 kilograms or 106 pounds. How old would she have been at this point? 18. Okay. For reference, she weighed 45 kilograms or 99 pounds when she was kidnapped eight years earlier. Oh my God. She'd only grown 15 centimetres in those eight years. Oh no. You're going to start saying horrible things now. Wolfgang Priklopil then committed suicide. Oh, was it him? Yeah. So, what happened? Well, on the morning of the 2nd of March 1998... Natasha was almost halfway to school when she saw a man in front of a white van. She wanted to cross the road to avoid him, but kept going anyway. He came towards her, grabbed her, and put her into his truck. She couldn't scream because she was so afraid. Poor kid. He then said, if you don't scream or stand up and do as I say, you won't be hurt. Eventually he pulled up to his house, wrapped her in a blue blanket, and carried her in. She was then put in a cell underneath the garage and left in the dark. She sat and counted every second to know how long she'd been there, but it was so long she lost count. There wasn't any light in the cell, so Natasha was unable to tell whether it was day or night. In order to get in the cell, you had to first find the trap door that was disguised as normal flooring in the garage. Then, after going downstairs, a heavy cupboard and some tyres must be moved to show a safe door that was 70 centimetres high and screwed into the wall. Behind that... The half-metre thick wall was hollowed out. 
To get into the cell, you had to crawl backwards through the hole, then close a 150 kilo steel and concrete door behind you. Then you had to turn left, open two double doors, and there was the five square meter cell. Oh my God. This guy had really thought about this. Yeah. He'd been preparing. Uh Uh-huh. That is insane. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Wow. It was a humid, cold, damp, musty, and moldy little room with a menagerie of insects inhabiting it. Although there was a ventilator in the ceiling, it seems to have done just as much harm as good, really. Natasha recalled that it was infuriatingly loud, and when it had been on for a long time, it became so hot that the blades would melt, causing a talking noise along with the noisiness of the whirring. Her kidnapper arrived and gave her a five-centimetre-thick foam mattress. The only warmth she had was from the blue blanket she'd been transported in. She was forced to use her jacket as a pillow, and she went hungry for many days. Even though it was subsequently found that her captor had a BMW and could pay for this to be kept in good service. Ugh. When he was going to feed her, he would show her everything that was available in terms of food before giving her anything, and then he would give... Sorry, and then when he would give her something, it would only be a tiny sliver of what she'd seen. For what? Like, why do you, Why are people so cruel? I mean, obviously kidnapping someone is cruel in itself. It's a dick move. It's a. It's a, one of the worst things you can do. But at least if you're going to do it, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can still look after someone. But you can treat someone like a person, even his whole if you're thing, going to kidnap them. His whole thing was just dominance, though. It's a child. Mm -hmm. If she showed an interest in any food, he would never give that to her. Oh, God. And if she asked for more, she would get less next time. When he originally put her in the cell, he took her school bag. She'd asked for it back, as any child would, and he said, no, you cannot have it. It might have a hidden transmitter inside that you could use to escape. So So he's crazy. He's definitely at least paranoid, yeah. So in an attempt not to give anything else up, she kept her dress and her shoes on day and night. This is breaking my heart. However, in the first few days, he took her shoes and burnt them. He said, you won't be needing these. Even if she had have needed those or anything else, it was impossible for her to communicate with him in any way for the first few days. He would come every day, but when he left, he couldn't hear her at all, unless he left the other doors open, in which case he could hear a faint metallic knocking from the cell. I can't believe that they didn't look into him further. Uh-huh. So frustrating. It's disgusting, isn't it? It is, yeah. They could have prevented all of this. When he realised there was no method of communication, and since it took him around one hour to fully open up the cell every time, due to the many security features of it, he installed an intercom. Later on, another addition was made to the cell. It was a timer so that the lights could go off and on at particular times to simulate the daytime. Eventually, the cell was fitted with a chair, desk, radio, television, bed, toilet and wash basin. Then one day, he let Natasha upstairs. Once he was sure everything was locked and that she was too scared of him to try and attack him with any of his tools. Natasha was excited to see daytime for the first time in a long time. However, when she got upstairs, she still couldn't see any sunlight because he had closed the blinds. From this day, he brought her upstairs more and more and used her as a slave. Although she was never allowed to sleep upstairs, she was always taken back down to the holding cell when she completed what he'd told her to do. She wasn't only used as a cleaning slave, though. She was also forced to help him with work. And when he was sick, he would force her out of her cell so that she could make him tea or soup and then would force her back to the cell after. She was saying in the documentary, like, it was really hard when he was sick because he would forget that she had needs too, so she would have to make him soup or tea and then he just wouldn't feed her. It's so hard. At first, she was forced to wear plastic bags over her head, which hurt her as she had to keep them there with clips and rubber bands, so the clips would just dig into her scalp. Because of this, when he trusted her enough, he gave her a pair of blunt scissors so she could cut her hair. Once she had done it, he said, I might as well cut it all off, and then he did. Natasha was punished if he ever found a fingerprint on any of his belongings, Not just because he could be found out and then she could be saved, but also because he hated the look of fingerprints and he was utterly obsessed with cleanliness. 
he would grab her wrist and use the back of her hand to wipe the marks off. Sometimes, things would get so bad that she would run to the window and yell for the police. Whenever she did this, though, he would grab her, choke her, hit her, just basically do everything in his power to make sure she didn't do it again. Sometimes he would rape her. He hated it when Natasha would cry, and when she did, he would either rub her tears into her face with the back of his hand, or he would drag her by the throat to the bathroom and hold her face over the sink until she'd stopped. He hated her crying not because he was sympathetic, but because he was afraid there was hydrochloric acid in her tears and these would corrode his tiles. What the fuck? Although Natasha didn't get very much, her captor owned many books that he gave to her, and later when she expressed an interest in reading, he went out and purchased her a multitude of books. Natasha enjoyed to learn and grow, so she would ask him to set and mark tests from maths books that she'd been given. He did it, but when he found any mistake, he would scribble everything on the page out in red pen. Which obviously is disheartening for a child. Yeah. This is so strange. Why why do that, though? Right. But why bother getting... Why... Obviously, I could never understand this kind of person. Yeah. But I don't understand how you can go from being like oh i won't feed you to i'll buy you loads of books and grade you like for what for what purpose what are you gaining from this yeah what is anyone gaining from it? it's bizarre well it's like as well so when she was there she was like i felt like i was deficient i guess so she wanted to read and learn and stuff and like she learned how to knit so he obviously would have had to give her knitting needles and wool and bless her stuff so but like it's just crazy yeah are you bonding with her what is this well at first when she was younger everything kind of went smoother and then as she grew up and became sort of slightly um less malleable i guess i think he thought he had to break her down to nothing to then kind of like remold her if that makes sense because the everything kind of went smoothly for the first few years And then it was after that that he would, like, withhold food and that kind of thing. Okay. After a few years, Natasha was allowed to go into the garden with him at night time for around five minutes. Wow. When she went out there, she asked if she could take a a stick from a bush back inside with her. As, like, a hope thing. I'm going to cry on this podcast. I know, that actually broke my heart when she said it. When she was just 14, she'd tried to slit her wrist with a knitting needle because she thought it was better to be dead than to be trapped for the rest of her life. Seven years after she'd gone missing, she'd obviously physically changed and her name wasn't at the forefront of everyone's mind. So he took her into the city and made her work for him while renovating an apartment. There was no fear for him that she would run because he always made sure she was carrying something heavy or the doors were locked or, you know... He took precautions, I guess. Right. He said to her that he would kill anyone she spoke to and then her. So she wasn't allowed to speak to anyone. So she was just amongst the people, but nobody knew her. Yeah. Oh, that is crazy. It's, it, I think that is one of the worst bits. I mean, obviously it's all awful, but to be so close to escaping and just not be able to. Yeah. It's interesting as well because how many times has that happened? Exactly. And nobody's noticed. Yeah. People that could still be in these situations. Well, the worst bit was at one point they were in the van and they were in traffic and there was a police checkpoint. A policeman came over to the car and Natasha tried to signal with her eyes that something was wrong. But he didn't notice. And she since said that he probably thought she was epileptic or, you know, had learning difficulties or something. Damn. So the police officer just let them go on their way. That is so stressful. That's horrible. She said she didn't try jumping out of the car or screaming for help because she knew she was so thin and pale that people would probably just think she was a drug addict and ignore her. That's so sad. Yeah. She was allowed out with her captor on her 18th birthday. Obviously, she'd been told not to speak to anyone or cry for help. You know, the usual. They went to a ski resort near Vienna for a few hours. However, there was no chance for her to escape throughout the trip. Again, though, why? 
I don't know. I guess it's because he didn't hate her, you know? Yeah, it's so odd. Yeah. It's such a strange middle ground. Well, I think it's just because he wanted someone to exert all of his dominance over, you know, and that's what he was doing. Like, he he didn't want, he didn't, I don't think he wanted to punish her all the time, you know, if she was acting well or whatever, she would get rewards, you know, she would get books, she would get a radio, she would get access to the TV, that kind of thing. Okay. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. In July 2006, Proclopeel went to Ernst Holzapfel's house to borrow his trailer. The two men worked together, so... Natasha went with him, but didn't know if Ernst was trustworthy, so she didn't alert him that she was kidnapped. They shook hands and said nothing. Ernst was not his accomplice in crime. He did not know who she was. That's sad. Ernst had met Wolfgang, Proclopeel, at Siemens when they did their training together. He later hired Wolfgang when he had set up his own company, Renovating Apartments. Before the kidnapping, Proclopeel had asked Ernst, how can you effectively install sound insulation to reduce hammer drilling noises? He said that cement is the best for voices, but rock wool is the best for a hammer drill. Later, Ernst was horrified to learn that when the police found the cell, he'd obviously taken this information for the purpose of building a dungeon. I can't even imagine how guilty you'd feel, but it, it, it can't be helped. You know, it's not your fault. Ernst had been visiting. Suspicious. Sorry, go on. Ernst had been visiting Wolfgang throughout the time that Natasha had been kidnapped. No way. At least twice a year. No. He said there was never anything unusual. I guess how would you tell? Mm -hmm. If the the cell is that expertly built, how would you even know? Yeah. Then on the twenty third of August two thousand six, she was told to vacuum his BMW while he was on the phone. The noise of the vacuum was so loud that he had to walk around 11 metres away, and he'd left the gate open and unlocked. She left the vacuum on and ran as fast as her legs could carry her. When he realised she had escaped, he drove to the train station, lay down on the tracks, and the train ran over his head, so he died. When Natasha found out he was dead, she mourned for him. Not because of Stockholm Syndrome, but because she understood what a troubled soul he was, and although what he did was wrong and there was no denying that he was a criminal, she didn't think he should have died. She later said in an interview, Maybe the reason I survived for all of those years was because I forgave him for everything almost as soon as it happened. So somehow, this ten-year-old was kidnapped, and yet she still pitied her captor as she realised he was unstable, and saw the kidnapping as an answer to his problems. She's too good for this world. Right? Luckily, though, Natasha escaped when she did, because when the police went through his house, they found that he was in the process of getting fake documents to identify him as an immigrant from the Czech Republic so that he and Natasha could get married and start a new life. Oh my god, I wasn't expecting that part. Yeah. So some conspiracy theories did crop up after she was found, because, do you remember the report from the girl who was on the roundabout? Yes. She originally said that two men had grabbed a girl in a red coat. So people think, like, was Wolfgang working with someone else? Right, okay. That, I guess, would make sense. However, Natasha never saw anyone else. There was no DNA or any other form of evidence to show that there was anyone else. And the witness ended up redacting their statement entirely eventually anyway, so... Natasha has since become the face of Peter in Austria in 2009. She's released a book called 3096 Days in 2010 about her ordeals, which was later turned into a movie called 3096. Did I say 69? I meant 96. No, you didn't. You said 96. Cool. I think I've heard of that. In 2013. Maybe I read the book. Natasha now owns his house. Oh, wow. And she's filled in the cell. I guess that's probably... Probably good. Maybe. Yeah. I could see why that would be helpful. Yeah. I think it would be, because you know it so well, you lived there for eight years. Yeah, I'm not, okay. Yeah, I found out and I was like, okay, that's 
not what I was expecting at all. No, I would assume you'd want to get as far over as possible. But I guess if you were the one to be like, no, we're destroying that. Yeah. That's over. Definitely. That's not going to happen again. It would probably be good for you. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. I don't think it's appropriate to do the scales for the story. But what do you think? Absolutely wild. Uh-huh. From start to finish. Incredibly sad. Incredibly infuriating. I thought it was so uplifting. It is. And it's nice that she is so positive. Yeah, definitely. That's incredible. 100%. I can't. How do you maintain that kind of positivity when you are treated like that? Yeah. And she's just. She's 32. So she's just never getting on with her life. life. Bless her soul. Yeah. She said she still sometimes gets flashbacks, but she's just living in the now. She's, you know, having a good life, living it. That's incredible. Yeah. What a remarkable woman. There was quite a lot of outroar actually after she had been found and stuff because she wouldn't mention any sexual assault as soon as she came out because she was like, this, no one needs to know. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not any of your business. And she said that the media was worse than her time in the cell. Wow. Because they were so just unruly. They were just. They want the stories. Yeah. They were just like vultures, really. It's ridiculous. So. Disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah. Which what I quite enjoyed about watching the documentary because it was like, it was from her. It wasn't just a bunch of, you know, reporters being like, then what happened? How awful was this? Yeah. Wow. I feel like you're you're always speechless at the end. It's because... You you always do such like dramatic things that make me cry. I almost cried at that point. I've always broke. I had to have a drink. Was it was upset. a happy story in the end. It was a happy story in the end, but midway through the middle, it was not a happy story. No, not at all. I personally, before you said that, I was very frustrated that he'd killed himself because I would want him to, you know, I would want justice. But if she is okay with that, I mean, you know, as okay as someone can be, if she's at peace with what happened, then I can't really say anything, you know? Yeah, well, she just felt sorry for him. She kind of said, you know, growing up on a council estate with all of these people that had all of these problems, it was quite easy to pity him. Um, and she said, you know, it was all about dominance for him. It was to have a secret that his his grandma, his mum, his colleagues didn't know about, you know, and like be able to kind of shape her and, you know, but she says at the end, she reckons, because all the way along, he was like, if you get out, I will kill myself, you know. And she said at the end, she thinks he was kind of almost hoping she would, because like he left the gate unlocked. And you um, know. he was kind of done with it. Yeah, I think he just kind of got to the point where it was invading his every thought, I guess. And yeah. obviously we don't know how true that is and we never will because he's dead, but... It's just crazy. I can't even wrap my head around it. I know. This is why this is why I needed a break after writing it to like come back to it. Yeah, I can't form I don't have an opinion because she's okay. I can't be angry. I'm angry at the police. But well the trouble is, I mean, you I imagine it's not a place where things like this happened often. You know, it's not like the facilities that you might have in London or New York or, you know, it's just a a smaller place, I think. So you kind of, there's only so much blame you can put on it. Yes, there should have been better training. Yes, there should have been better facilities. But I think you kind of need a case like this that will then force it to happen. Yeah. And I hope that it has got better. Probably. I imagine they felt bad when this they, this was discovered and they yeah. found that he was the one all along. Well, there was an absolute outcry because the, the second tip was never followed up. It was like, if you'd have just followed that up, because that would have given them the search warrant for the house, they might have found her. Yeah. So soon after. Was her mother still alive when she was... Yeah, her mum's still alive. Oh. She was in the nice. documentary. She was talking. Oh. Bless. Yeah. So really rough but I'm glad she was found 
Me too. And I'm glad she's okay as well, because there are some people that just can never move past it. You know, they've had this horrible thing happen and they're just, they feel like that's kind of it, you know? Yeah. But it was nice. Very uplifting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, I mean, if you want to, I guess you could, but don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs> <laughs>